Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. So, so far in this series, we've talked about two really critical areas that actually lead into this morning's area. We talked about, first of all, reclaiming worship. Reclaiming worship. Now, I love A.W. Tozer's definition of worship. He said to worship is to feel in your heart and to express in some appropriate manner a humbling and admiring sense of awe in the presence of that most ancient mystery that philosophers call the first cause, but I call him my heavenly father. To worship is to feel and then to express. It isn't just song, it's not just music, though they can be expressions. It is our expression of love back to God. Last weekend, we talked about regaining perspective. If there's anything we've needed during this pandemic is we've needed to gain some perspective. And we need to really recalibrate our hearts to heaven, don't we? Like, we we shouldn't be setting our minds on things of this earth. We should be setting our minds on things of eternity and things that are yet to come, things that are not seen, because we can get so caught up and we can find our identity in things that are seen and they can let us down so many times. And so when you have reclaimed worship and once you have regained perspective, I think we're ready then to move into this next area. Let's return to our series catalyst verse, 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 rather, verses, verse number 11. Here it is. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration or strive for recalibration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you all. This morning, we're going to double click on just one word in that verse. The word rejoice. Rejoice. How have you been doing with rejoicing? lately. I don't see personally a great deal of rejoicing. It seems as though joy has gotten lost in this pandemic, even in the lives of those who claim to be followers of Jesus. And listen, I get it. That's not a condemnation. I absolutely get it. But the Bible never calls to happiness. The Bible calls us to joy. There's a big difference. Happiness is all about what's happening. Joy is all about Jesus. It's based on Jesus. Joy is the fruit of God's spirit that is living within you and now is finding expression through you. And here's the deal. We don't have a lot to be happy about in this pandemic This pandemic does not cause us to feel a sense of happiness, but it should not cause us to feel a sense of hopelessness or joylessness. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have troubles. You're going to have all kinds of troubles, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And so this morning, we find our place and we find our directive on joy from Jesus' half-brother, James, who wrote a letter that we have tucked in the 27 books of the New Testament. 
James chapter one, verse number two. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Are you out of your mind, James? Are you out of your mind? I mean, who in their right mind considers it pure joy when you feel trials of many kinds? Who considers it pure joy when you feel trials of any kind, right? None of us do. I mean, let's be honest. My default, when I feel like I am experiencing trials, especially various trials, is my default is to complain. My default is to gripe. My default is to blame others. There's been times in my life, I confess to you, I've even blamed God. God, if you really loved me, God, if you really cared, why would you let this be happening to me? I mean, to understand the heart of what James is really getting at here, we actually need to start in this verse from the end of it and work backward. Because the real target that James has in mind here is actually found at the end of the verse when he says, I am writing to you who are enduring all sorts of hardships and trials of various kinds. You are under pressure. In verse number one, he tells us he's writing his letter to his fellow Jews who had been scattered throughout the nations. They had not been scattered because of pleasurable circumstances. They had been scattered because of persecution. The church was experiencing all sorts of pressure. The body of Christ was was experiencing all sorts of pressure. And the body had been scattered. We feel it today, don't we? As we look around. We feel it today when we dial into a broadcast. We are the ones... Spirit and days like this are the days that James has written his letter to. And when he says, I want you to consider pure joy, when you face trials of many kind, that word trial in the Bible can mean one of two things. It can either refer to a test or it can refer to temptation. And there are times in the scripture that it simultaneously refers to both trials and temptation, test and temptation. I suspect it's exactly what James had in mind here when he uses the plural of the word, trials. James is actually, I think, helping us understand that when it rains, it pours. Um, when, When the floodgates open, they really seem to open, don't they, sometimes in life. And sometimes it can become so overwhelming and we feel so beaten up and beaten down and we feel that the pressure is really on. That's actually what James is referring to. In fact, here's here's something interesting about the word. The word actually appears in Greek literature, ancient Greek literature, to refer to experiments It's actually a medical term. Think vaccinations. Right now, we are all praying and hoping, aren't we, 
for the soon release of a vaccine that's going to be able to address this particular strain of the coronavirus that's causing COVID-19. And there are hundreds of potential vaccines that are in the works. But before they're going to receive federal approval, what do they have to do? They have to go through what is called a human challenge or human testing trial. It's where somebody willingly allows themselves to experience what it would be like to carry the antibody and then to be exposed to the coronavirus. Maybe what, maybe what James has in mind here is James is actually maybe thinking back to Jesus who is put literally in a human challenge or a human testing trial in the desert. When Satan shows up and what does he do? The devil tries to tempt him and test him to divert him from the mission that he had come for, to seek and to save that which was lost. Was Jesus going to really, as God in flesh, as a human being filled with God's spirit, was he really going to be able to withstand temptation? Was he going to be able to survive the human challenge, the human trial testing? Perhaps that's what James is thinking about. And, now, and what James does here is so remarkable. He offers us what I think is the most unconventional way to deal with it. In fact, let me say this. I think what James says in this verse is perhaps one of the, perhaps one of the greatest calls and acts of faith that you and I will ever display. There is nothing that calls out faith like what James tells us here. James actually gives us what I think many of us would say is kind of silly advice. James would not have made a good therapist. Because who wants to hear when you go and you pour out your heart about your many trials and the pressure's on, who wants to hear the words, oh, just consider it pure joy. That's not what we want to hear, right? We want somebody to commiserate with us. We want somebody to justify it. We want somebody to reason it away. And James does none of that. What James says is, I want you to enact your faith. I want you to put your faith into practice right now. And to put your faith into practice, it means you need to consider it pure joy when you're under pressure. Now, the word joy actually in the original language comes from a root word from which we get the word grace or favor. It's the same word, root word for the, for the word grace. And I think what James is telling us here is really critical, that you cannot separate joy from grace. Joy is actually God's grace that's on display in our lives. Grace is the way that we express our love for God in the middle of our trials and our tribulations. Let me ask you, what do you consider pure joy in this life? I mean, is there anything you would consider pure joy in this life? 
I look at my grandkids, and I love my grandkids, and I was with all of them, all five of them last week a few times, and man, what a joy holding them, being with them, picking up my youngest, Autumn, who's about 18 months old, and just finding sheer pleasure in her, and then she messes her diaper, and it's no longer pure joy, right? There's nothing in this life, in my opinion, that brings pure joy. But there's one thing, and that is God's grace that is with us and that carries us through the times of testing. And it's why James says, consider it. Consider it. The word in the original language actually means to lead the way or to go ahead of. To actually command, to have authority. It was actually used of Roman governors and Roman officers, leaders. The idea here is that there is to be something that we choose that leads the way forward when we're entering into pressure. And what is called to lead the way, according to James, is joy. Like I said, this is an act of faith. This is not about our feelings, friends. And it's not about our happiness. That is not what God has in view in Scripture. What God has in view is, I want you to step out in faith and do something because my grace will see you through it in the midst of that situation. I think what James is saying is he wants us to have the same mindset and the same footsteps as Jesus. Philippians tells us how he did it. Philippians chapter 2. Verses five through eight. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. None of us here have ever experienced that kind of pressure. None of us here have ever felt those kinds of trials. The pressure has not been on in our lives to that degree. And yet we are called by Paul and James echoes that, and he says, I want your footsteps to follow Jesus. And I want your mindset to follow Jesus, even when it's tough, even when it's difficult. James goes on to tell us the reason why in verse number three of James chapter one. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Because you know. Why should we consider it pure joy? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let me give you today's big idea. Joy enables us to persevere when the pressure is on. It is joy that enables us 
to persevere when the pressure's on. The Bible elsewhere says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. What it's talking about is the same thing here. There is something that comes to us when we choose to act in faith with joy that we can experience in no other way. The Bible here, James says, because you know. And, and the word know, it's interesting. In Scripture, it can be used of two kinds of knowledge. It can be used to speak about knowledge that comes from study, or it can be used to speak of knowledge that comes from experience. The word in the Greek is the latter. And so the question is, how do we come to know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance? We have our faith tested. That's how. Listen, there's no other way for us to come to know it personally, firsthand, experientially, but by actually going through the tests. In the Bible here, what it's, what it's suggesting is that trials test us and the testing produces something of value in us. Something really significant. Something that God is going after. And what God is going after here is he's going after our faith. And he wants to grow it. The word perseverance could be translated endurance. And what I think James is going after here is James is saying, listen, when your faith is tested, it is your cheerful endurance that actually grows you. We do not just grow to be like Christ, but we grow up to be like Christ. When we experience trials and when our faith is tested. Trials test our faith, and then something happens to our faith. And, and, and the word test here is a different word than James used in the previous verse. The word test here actually means a crucible or a furnace, something that is used for smelting or refining, getting purity out of metal. That's the word picture James has in mind. Peter elsewhere said, do not be surprised at the fiery trials, the fiery ordeals that are coming upon you for the testing of your faith. Do you know what happens when we face trials? It refines us. It purifies us. Nothing purifies our faith in God quite like the pressure being on. Nothing actually purifies us quite like the pressure and the trials of life hitting us. James then moves into what is the purpose, the ultimate purpose for why we experience trials, for, for why our faith is often tested. And he doesn't just give us one purpose. He actually gives us three purposes. And here are the purposes. James chapter one, verse number four. Let perseverance, let cheerful endurance finish its work 
so that, here's the purpose, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is really good news when we come to this verse. Because now we're beginning to see what God has in mind. Not what we have in mind. Not that we think the way things should be or not feeling like we understand why things are happening. James is now saying, I want you now to have an eternal perspective. Because when you put God in his right place in worship, and when you gain an eternal perspective that life is so much bigger than what you can see with your natural eyes, now you can begin to rejoice. Now you can count it pure joy. Why? Because God has a purpose. And here's his purpose. There are three of them. The first one is maturity. So that you will become mature. One of the greatest barometers in our lives of spiritual maturity is that we choose joy when circumstances are anything but joyful. I did not say happiness. I said joy. We lean into God's grace. We trust God's grace. We let God's grace carry us through. Why? Because God has a purpose, and that purpose is maturity. It is God's work of building our character to be like Jesus. None of us here will ever experience what Christ went through. We will never shed our blood, perhaps, like Christ did. We will never be at a point where we're going to be nailed to a cross, but we are going to face our trials and difficulties in this life. And when we do, we've got to understand that there is a desire of maturing our character in the midst of it. The second purpose is that we would be complete. I love the word. The word is whole. The second purpose and the second reason we can consider it pure joy is because we become whole. We experience wholeness through the trials of life. Now, contrary to what many people assert, the ultimate goal of the Christian life is not moral perfection. The ultimate goal of the Christian life is maturity, spiritual, and emotional wholeness. It is so that we can become complete whole people, just like Jesus was fully integrated, full of God and full of humanity simultaneously. Being able to pull together all of that in one body. This completeness that we are offered is not made possible any other way, friends. It's not made possible in any other way but through trials that test your faith, that require cheerful perseverance so that you become complete, so that you become mature, so that you become whole. And the third purpose is so that you'll not lack anything. 
that you'll not lack anything. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. When do we find God as our shepherd most? When we come face to face with the fact that we are broken, wandering sheep. Lost, if you were, without him. We're struggling to find our green pasture. We haven't had quiet waters lately. Our soul has not been restored. We're looking for paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even when we're walking through a valley of a shadow of death, we fear nothing. Why? Because he's with us. How do we experience that sense of lacking nothing? We experience it when he becomes our shepherd by personal firsthand experience, not by studying him. We can know everything we, we want to know and the Bible teaches about God, but until we have a personal encounter that the Lord is my shepherd, then we can say, I shall not want. And that's the purpose that James is giving us here. You will be mature, you will be whole, and you will be safe in my presence. You will be safe in my arms. No matter how the world is swirling around you, Take heart. I'm here. I'm with you. My grace will see you through this. So consider it pure joy. That needs to be our mindset. And that needs to be our footsteps. That should be our lead foot. Now listen. There's one final thing that James tells us. It's actually a final way he compels us to consider it pure joy. And it's found just a few verses later in James chapter 1, verse 12. Here's what he says. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, the crucible, the furnace, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who Love him. Don't miss the connection here between joy and love. I think cheerful endurance is one of the most significant ways that we say we love God. In fact, it's one of the most significant ways that our faith is proven to be genuine and not artificial. Those with artificial faith right now, this pandemic has thrown them. Some of you watching at home, you're tuning in, but it's been a while. Maybe you feel like your faith has been shaken. I get it. There is something that all of this does in us that tests us. But it does something else. It actually speaks of our love for God. When we cheerfully endure hardship, when we go through the furnace and we stay the course. James said, blessed is the one who once they have stood and they have endured the test cheerfully. 
are going to receive the crown of life that the Lord gives. Not just to that one, but to all who love him. And listen, if nothing I have said this morning has yet motivated you to cheerfully endure and to find joy, pure joy, and consider it pure joy, I hope this will. Because James here makes a promise to us. And it's a promise of blessedness. It's a promise that he says awaits not just the one who endures cheerfully, but everyone who endures cheerfully. He promises a crown, a crown of life. Now, in our day today, we don't have an appreciation for crowns. In other words, I'm not living my life just saying someday I'm getting a crown. Crowns don't hold the value in our culture today that they held in the first century. I think, again, James had a very close-up personal relationship with Jesus. He saw firsthand what he went through. And I think what happened to Jesus, again, is likely what James has in mind here. Because on the cross, Jesus got a crown. But Jesus received a crown that was intended to be a victor's crown, a crown of royalty, but was perverted to be a crown of death and humiliation. And what James, I think, is doing here is James is redeeming the word crown. He's redeeming it back for God. He's saying, for all those who endure, there is a crown that's not perverted. There is a crown that is not about death and humiliation. It is a crown about honor. It's a crown that's going to lift you up as you simply walk in the path of Jesus and you follow in his footsteps and you keep his mindset when you are in the middle of experiencing all sorts of pressure when it's on. And what did Jesus do? How did Jesus experience God's joy and how did he express it? Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three. Let us run with cheerful endurance, with perseverance, with cheerful endurance. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Friends, we are living in a time and a generation where the next generation is going to look back on us and see how we've run the race that was set out before us. We are living in what is likely to be a once-in-a-century pandemic. The likelihood of any of us here today going through something like this again is not very high. And truth is this. We're going to be adjudicated, evaluated, judged, for how well we ran the race that was set out before us. Let us run it how? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Now notice this, what it says. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners 
so that you will not grow weary and so that you will not lose heart. Let me ask you this morning, what was the joy that was set before Jesus? I used to think that the joy was he was getting to go back to heaven, back to the presence of his Father, back to God's right hand. But the more I've meditated on the Scripture, I've come to realize something. Jesus came here, and he did not become less of God when he came. He did not lose his position and his honor in heaven when he came. He willingly gave up the rights of exercising his divinity. But he was not simply going back to something he had lost. He wasn't less than who he had been. And yes, I think there was joy in his return to heaven, but I don't think that's what he had his sights on. I think the joy that was set before Jesus was you. And it was me. And it was the billions of people who would become sons and daughters of God because of what Jesus was doing. I think he had his sights on making many sons and daughters, making it possible for us to join him there. And I think that was the joy that Jesus felt when he said, I scorn the shame. Oh, I'm going to be seated again at the right hand of God, but I'm not going to be alone. I'm bringing many sons and daughters with me. That compelled him. And that was the crown I think James had in mind when James said, blessed. Blessed are all those who endure faithfully, cheerfully, when, they are, when the pressure is on and they are feeling trials of many kind because there is laid up for them a crown of life. And not just for them, but to all who love him. Nothing sets our love for God apart like the exercise of our faith when, when the pressure's on. And it is joy that enables us to endure hardship, to endure the pressure. So this morning as we close, I want to ask you to prayerfully hold and ponder two questions today. As we go to our final song, and then as we end this, this service, this broadcast, you move into your week, would you prayerfully hold these before God? Would you honestly ponder these in God's presence? Here's the first question. Where am I finding it difficult to cheerfully endure? Where am I finding it difficult in my life right now to cheerfully endure, to persevere. And the second one is this. What is the thing that God is inviting me to consider pure joy because I love him? Not because it's easy. Not because it's convenient. But because I love him.
Where is God inviting you today to say, I want you to consider it pure joy. This is going to take your faith, your act of faith, to follow in Jesus' footsteps. But friends, if we will do it, if we will cheerfully endure, if we will consider it pure joy, there is laid up for us a crown of life to all of us who endure to the end. Let me pray. Jesus, you alone search us because you alone know us. No one really has the right to plumb the depths of our soul like the one who created the soul. So God, I pray that we would get in touch with God, your life in us. The life of God that is wanting to find expression through us, through joyfulness. Though it's difficult, though it's challenging, though we're living in unhappy times, may we choose to consider it pure joy because your grace sees us through. Let our minds be like the mind of Christ. Let us have his mindset. Let our heart be tender, moldable, so that our character can be formed and shaped. Let our will bend to your will, O God, that our life will follow suit and that we will live a life that will honor and lift up the name of Jesus because people look at us and say, that person is expressing joy right in the middle of the pressure that's on. How do they do that? That we would then be ready to give an answer and a reason for the hope that's in us. May you use our lives to bring glory to you, I pray, as we rediscover joy in the midst of trials of many kind. Thank you for it. We pray your blessing on each of us. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.